Welcome to Kidney Commute, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation, driven by the interprofessional team with emphasis on the patient voice. In each episode, we will incorporate the perspectives of the different members of the kidney team as well as the patient. Join our huddle on all things kidney health and allow new perspectives to inspire collaboration in your practice. Eligible listeners can earn credit along the way. The Kidney Commute, a continuing education podcast planned by the team for the team. Welcome to the Kidney Commute, an interprofessional NKF podcast. My name is Osama Oshani. I'm a nephrologist at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee, and it is my pleasure to be leading today's discussion about working towards transplant. Hi, my name is Mary Balliker, and I'm a subject matter expert on this podcast today, uh, representing the patient. I have nothing to disclose at this time. Hello, everyone. I'm Goni Katz. I'm one of the transplant nephrologists at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, and I have no disclosures. Hello, I'm Jessica Steincleft. I am a transplant, pre-kidney transplant coordinator at UW Health in Madison, Wisconsin. I do not have any disclosures. Hi, everyone. I'm Heather Lorden. I'm a dietitian also at UW Health Transplant Clinic in Madison, Wisconsin, and I do not have any disclosures. Hi, my name is Nyung Dun. I'm one of the transplant nurse practitioner at UNM Hospital in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I do not have any disclosure at this time. Hi, I'm Kristen Fisher, and I'm a transplant social worker at Sanford Health in Fargo, North Dakota, and I have nothing to disclose. Great. Welcome on board, everyone. Happy to have you. And I guess we'll kickstart our conversation with you, Mary. As a transplant recipient, when did you start thinking about transplant, and when did your nephrologist start discussing it with you? So I was diagnosed, uh, again, this is Mary, and I was diagnosed with kidney disease when I was nine. So I always knew there was going to come a time for dialysis or transplant. So I think for me, I went from pediatrics to a nephrologist and with watching lab work and um, seeing how I was feeling, I was referred to the transplant center at at a university where uh, they did transplants. And so I was evaluated at that point once my lab work got to a certain level, and that was when I was referred for transplant. But it was also in discussion prior to that visit with the transplant program. Goni, as the transplant nephrologist, you know, I know we refer patients to you all the time, but what are the appropriate criteria that a patient needs to meet in order to be referred to your clinic for evaluation for a potential kidney transplant? So first of all, kind of like what Mary said, we prefer that patients are referred early or the discussion with them by their nephrology starts early. And when I mean early, as you might know, a chronic kidney disease has stages and we usually want our patients to see patients before they reach dialysis. So when they're the age of or stage of um, CKD4, the number I think that Mary was referring to again is the GFR, which shows us how much your kidney is working or not working. And we like to see our patients when they're GFR is in the low 20s because 
after the evaluation process or during the evaluation process, we're not able to list them until their GFR hits 20 or below. But the best treatment or the best care would be if we see them and evaluate them when they're in the low 20s. So then when they do need to start dialysis or when the GFR is below 20, we're able to transplant them soon enough because they have enough time on the waiting list. That's great. It's very helpful. Um, I was always I was always under the impression that I refer them once it's twenty or below, but I think you know it makes perfect sense when it's in the low twenties. Uh, that way you have that time because, like you said, evaluation does take some time. The the whole process and the testing that the patient needs to go through. Now, once the patient is following with the transplant clinic, there are a number of team members involved in the patient's care. Jessica, can you outline who they are and what their roles are in patient care leading up to the transplant? Yes, absolutely. First, uh, a transplant coordinator uh, is kind of how the name sounds. They coordinate the evaluation and the, the path up to actual transplant. This includes communicating with patients on what their requirements are to be evaluated, communicating with the transplant team on the condition of the patient, and keeping everything up to date and organizing or scheduling living donor transplant or helping them maintain um, their eligibility while they're on the transplant list for a deceased donor. A, a dietitian sees a patient and they do evaluation of their um, nutritional status, their functional status, their frailty, and provide education to them on how to maintain or improve these while they're waiting for a transplant, and then also some education after transplant. There, they, a social worker is involved who evaluates the patient for their current and mental health, their assessment of their coping skills, their support system, their transportation, their financial ability to be able to have a transplant. And finally, or well, I guess there's two more, a transplant provider will see the patient and it depends on the center. Sometimes it's multiple, but it's usually either a transplant surgeon, a nephrologist, or an advanced practice provider. And their main goal is to really do an evaluation, physical evaluation of the patient and to educate them on the transplant procedure itself and the risks and benefits of transplant. There's uh, some transplant centers have patients see the pharmacist to assess their current compliance with their medications. That's also an important piece of the social worker too, which I, I did forget to say. And then also education on the, medic the multiple medications a transplant patient would be taking after transplant. And they see a financial coordinator as well, which uh, educates them on their current insurance coverage and what expected costs they may have after transplant. Quite the team. I think it's safe to say, you know, it takes a village to get a patient uh, working a transplant, a, a big team. And, you know, that's why we have you all here. Thank you so much for outlining that for us. It's very helpful. So next, we'll talk to another member of the team, Heather. As the dietitian on the team, how do your recommendations change once the patient is listed? Are they affected by whether a patient is on dialysis versus if it's just uh, your CKD patient who hasn't started dialysis yet? Yeah, great question. So staying healthy on the waiting list requires much of the same practices to be an optimal transplant candidate for listing. The patient really needs to be keeping up on healthy diet and lifestyle to prevent from becoming frail, deconditioned, or malnourished. Unfortunately, a lot of patients, whether they're on dialysis or CKD, 
tend to make a lot of changes to be listed and then they can relax or kind of revert to their old habits once they are listed. But really when they're on the wait list, it's the most important time to remain healthy since they really never know when they could get a kidney. So I encourage patients to view being on the waiting list as an opportunity to work really hard to meet their health goals. Um, so they need to be eating, eating healthy, you know, watching potassium and phosphorus, making sure they're getting adequate protein, especially if they're on dialysis. They need to be remaining independent with all of their, uh, all of their activities of daily living and just continue to be doing as much for themselves as possible, even when family or other people are really wanting to help them. It's so important to maintain their independence and then also intentionally exercising. We recommend 150 minutes of intentional exercise every week and at least two days to be weight-bearing exercise. In addition, they really need to maintain a healthy weight, whether it's this is working on weight loss or preventing malnutrition, unintentional weight loss, muscle loss, kind of loss of functionality. And then if they have diabetes, maintaining blood sugars. So um, overall, yeah, it, whether it's dialysis or chronic kidney disease, they just really need to use that opportunity to set goals for themselves and keep improving their functional status, malnutrition, and overall nutrition status to be an optimal candidate. Thank you so much. It's very helpful and very important for us to know also as providers. I know patients, you know, tend to ask us, even if they're not with the dietitian right away, kind of there's some basic recommendations for dietary changes and modifications. So definitely very helpful for us all to know. Now, Neon, you know, as a member of the team, uh, I wanted to kind of hear from you, what is the role of the APP in the transplant workup and how would you say it differs from a transplant nephrologist's role? So as an APP in transplant, we have to coordinate the patient evaluation provide the initial contact with the patient, as well as providing the education regarding to kidney transplantation. We try to educate the risk versus benefit from the standpoint where tr kidney transplant is a treatment for kidney disease, not a cure. And then we also will evaluate patient medical history and order and they needed clearances and evaluation testing for the individual patient. Whereas transplant nephrologists oftentimes will help with evaluate the clearances, testing, and medical history completed by the team for each patient in order to be listed for transplant. Thank you very much. I, you know, I always uh, make sure uh, to know and delineate the different, different roles uh, in this case, which I think sets us up nicely for our next question for, for Goni. Can you talk us through some of the basic pre-transplant medical evaluation testing that patient needs to go through prior to being listed? Yes, of course. So this is different and similar among different centers. So of course, we won't ask the same testing from a 20-year-old uh, patient with IJ nephropathy versus a 65 or uh, older patient who's had diabetes their whole life. So after the patients come to see us or when the patients come to see us, and again, it depends on different centers. Some centers will have a um, telephone screening prior to seeing the patient or inv inviting them to their centers. But usually when the patient comes, it's a one to two day um, evaluation uh, where they see everyone who's here or a representative of everyone who's here today on the, on the podcast. 
And during that time, it's our, also our, our goal to educate the, the patient on what they need to do in order to, to be listed or in order for us to be able to discuss him for listing. And I like to tell uh, my patients that we usually look in three big buckets or under three umbrellas. So first of all, we always uh, want to make sure that they, ha they have enough cardiac reserve to undergo a transplant and what comes afterwards. And again, depending on the age, we would usually ask for an echocardiogram and a stress test. Now, some centers, depending, will also ask for a heart cath, and some centers only after they have the results of the stress test. The second uh, umbrella I like to describe is vessels. So again, this goes back to who the patient is. So someone who has uh, IJ nephropathy uh, and is young, um, I, I might not need a cath scan of their abdomen and pelvis to see how the vessels look and whether or not they're calcified and how calcified they are. But someone with diabetes for a long time or hypertension for a long time or has been a smoker, uh, we would get a, set, um, a CAT scan of their abdomen and pelvis, and that's to assess their vessels. And that, of course, helps our surgeon uh, or surgery colleagues to know what they're going through and whether or not there are any places they can actually put in the kidney, which uh, is an important part. The third is more to do uh, after the transplant. So as um, Jessica said, um, one of the things that our patients need to know or candidates need to know that after transplant, they're going to be on a whole lot of medications that suppress their immune system. And we have to make sure, first of all, of course, to educate them about all the different side effects, but also to make sure they don't have any cancers that are sleeping or dormant. So for these, for this reason, we do age-appropriate cancer screening. So for a woman, it would be, depending on the age, a pap smear or a mammogram. Uh, for a male, it'll be PSA. Everybody, um, uh, when they reach the age, will get a colonoscopy. And then, of course, depending on if they smoke, uh, if they drank, they might need a uh, liver function panel or um, CT of their chest. So that's how we come to it. So we always look at the patient as a whole. There are certain criteria that we will all testing that we will want to do, and then there are certain that will be uh, patient specific. And lastly, it's important for the patients to know that they are welcome and can be referred and evaluated at different centers. And they don't have to repeat these tests uh, for every center. So we are, the centers are able to kind of talk to each other and get the results of the testing. So not to burden the patient too much uh, if they repeat the tests. Fantastic. You know, I think that's very helpful. And, you know, I know that, you know, uh, the patients go through a ton of testing initially, and then they tell me we're still going through the workup, but I do notice that, you know, the workup being transferred from one center to the other when they get listed in multiple centers is definitely a relief for a lot of our patients. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, the numbers and the labs and testing that we do, but there are a number of factors that we don't necessarily measure that can affect patients' eligibility or their success of a kidney transplant. Kristen, do you mind running us through some of the basic pre-transplant social work evaluation process? Yes, absolutely. So as a transplant social worker, we see everyone who's thinking about a transplant to talk about the not-so-medical pieces of the transplant. We evaluate them to help identify things they can work on, to help them be as prepared for transplant as possible, and as well as help them to work on any areas of concern that could impact the success of their transplant. So as Jessica mentioned, some of these factors could be, for example, transplant recipients need good support systems, both for the immediate post-op recovery period, 
And for some people who aren't able to complete the complex regimen by themselves, sometimes they need someone to help them long-term as well. They'll need transportation to get back and forth to the clinic for labs and appointments, things like that. If a transplant candidate is struggling with unmet mental health needs or a substance use issue, we'll help them access therapy or chemical dependency treatment as needed because they need to be as healthy as possible, mind and body, in order to cope with the stresses that come with transplant. If someone is having difficulty financially, we explore options and resources such as social security disability, optimizing their insurance coverage, or perhaps fundraising opportunities, et cetera. We also assess adherence to medical regimen, cognitive issues, all kinds of factors that can impact a successful transplant outcome. And then we help to mitigate these psychosocial issues as much as possible throughout the evaluation and provide an assessment on the transplant risk level to the transplant team as part of the selection or eligibility discussion. Perfect. Yeah, definitely a very important part of the evaluation process. And not only helps us understand the candidacy uh, of our patients, but also their success post-transplant uh, as well, which is very important. Now, Mary, we talked to the different members of the, the transplant team here, and you know, I just wanted to hear from you that you know, as the patient, how do you go about navigating your care during the pre-listing and post-listing periods? And does your point person change, or do you have a reference person who you're in touch with throughout? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think for me, I one of the things that I kind of put in place once I knew I was being listed is that I had my own personal wellness plan that I developed because I wanted to be as healthy as I possibly could be in kidney failure. And so for me, I knew that the more that I took care of myself, the better recovery I would have after transplant. So Diet and exercise played a huge point for me. I, I, you know, I really tried to watch protein intake and salt. And I think the other is that I, I continued to try to walk and lift weights and some of the things that I was doing prior to not feeling well and not doing well. I was very anemic. So, you know, being short of breath, um, walking and things like that could be difficult. So I think that was part of it. I think when you talk about how did it change? Um, I had a pre-transplant coordinator that worked with me and made sure that they were able to answer any of the questions that I had in regards to whether it was the donor or whether we were discussing you know, living donation. I think the next is that after the transplant, I went to a post-transplant coordinator and then working with a post-transplant coordinator, following up on all of the things that I needed to do you know, post-transplant. You know, making sure that, you know, I'm getting mammograms, making sure that I'm staying on top of things, making sure I'm taking my medications as prescribed. So I think those were the things that I saw that, you know, I, I for myself, really had this wellness plan that continued and has continued um, all of my life now that I'm 23 years out with this transplant. Definitely very helpful. And I think very important information for us all to know and to keep in mind as you know, providers for our patients. Now, you know, once a patient is evaluated, Jessica, how often should a patient expect to be contacted regarding their listing status or any updates that may be going on in terms of their transplant? So, you know, I think ideally, if a person is waiting for a deceased donor transplant, they should be contacted by their transplant coordinator about every six months 
to kind of check in, get an update on the patient's health status, if anything's changed. But really, you know, most importantly is to remember as a patient that that your job, once you're on the wait list, is really to keep your coordinator updated if you do have any changes, just so that everything can stay up to date in your medical history. So when you do get called in for that kidney, you're ready to go. And we have all the information that we need. That includes health changes, blood transfusions, but also, you know, change of phone number, change of address, change of insurance. Um, That stuff really needs to stay up to date. As far as, you know, seeing us, it's usually about once every year. But in general, you know, at least every six months, we should should be touching base. Neon. In terms of following up then, you know, with, you know, we talked about contacting in terms of, you know, phone calls and updates, but in terms of patients needing to come in, let's say for a visit, you know, how often should a patient come in and see, you know, or talk to their APP or their transplant nephrologist during the evaluation process? And how does that change once they're already listed for a transplant? So generally, we recommend the patient to be seen, like you said, at least one at the evaluation time and then on the yearly basis after being listed. Because reason for that, most if not all of these patients already have been followed closely by their primary nephrologists as well as primary care providers. However, if there is concern for frailty due to age or physical health, we then would definitely want to follow up at least once every six months to ensure patients have not had any significant decline in their health status. We recommend patients who is frail to be seen by physical therapy to work on their strength and mobility and any other appropriate specialists to ensure patients remain to be appropriate to be listed or to remain to be on the list for transplant because I pretty much always tell my patient, I, the stronger you walk into the surgery, the more likely the stronger you're walking out of the surgery and to be able to handle all of the medication that they will be received right after transplant. Absolutely. And I just have a quick follow-up question for you because you know I know it's it's a complicated thing to follows through each patient's workup and different patients get, uh, you know, um, held back for a little bit until a certain test is done or clearance from another provider. Now, is the patient supposed to reach out to you once, let's say, they're cleared by this other provider or other specialty, or do you kind of set yourself a, a schedule, let's say, once a month, look over everyone, make sure that everything is in line for those patients? So I would say I'm very fortunate to have a very strong team with pre coordinator that they do have a set schedule to follow up with patient via phone call. And most of the time when there is testing or any imaging that been ordered under my name, I do review it and communicate with the team like in a timely manner. Obviously, they're always the, <laughs> the exception. I do tell patients we do try our best to be in close communication with the patient, but 
it's a two-way communication. If when in doubt, please feel free to reach out to us. You better be safe than sorry. And if you want something bad enough, you know, just ask, and we will definitely try to coordinate the care to make sure that you get everything you needed, and so that you can be presented and be listed as soon as possible. Yeah, I think that component of patient empowerment is very important, right? I say the same thing to my patients in general. Let's say, you know, you are your own best advocate, right? So, you know, it's it's okay if you're contacting your team. It's There's nothing inappropriate about it. But, you know, that being said, I can't tell you how many times I ask the patient, okay, so does your transplant team know? They're like, I don't know. I haven't spoken to them. I was like, you know, just reach out to your coordinator. Most of the time, I know my patients will have, you know, the phone number, cell, and they could just text. I was like, just shoot them a text or call them. Just make sure that they're aware. And that can only help you. It can't harm your chances. You know, I think all this information has been very helpful. I know I've learned a lot, but I want to conclude by asking the panel, you know, as a whole, what advice would you give patients and, you know, in your case as well, Mary, providers uh, working on getting a kidney transplant? Okay. Goni, do you have any thoughts or advice you'd like to share? I think so. Two main uh, advice or, or key things. First of all, communication is is the key. I think uh, when uh, for patients and their transplant centers. So I like to joke with my patients that their pre-transplant coordinators are their new best friend, and they have to let us know of any changes that they've had or any testing that they had done. And of course, we always give them cards and our information so they can reach us, uh, transplant providers um, specifically. And then the other thing is that at the end of the day, there's no doubt that transplantation is the best form of treatment. But when you look at the transplantation, living donation is the best choice for our patient. So we um, encourage our patient to try and find a living donor. Uh, and I like to tell my patients that, it, that they often feel uncomfortable reaching out to people. Um, so we educated them about that. But at the end of the day, if they don't ask, the answer will always be no. So working on living donors for the patients and then their caregivers, if they're not able to be their, their living donors, they can advocate for the patients and get their word out on Instagram, Facebook, whatever works, just, just to make sure that the, be- the patient has the best chance of getting a transplant. Absolutely. Mary, uh, any thoughts or advice you'd like to share with us? Yes, I think for me, I believe that as the journey or transplant can be difficult. Uh, it can be very trying. And I just want to say for patients, don't give up. For me, it brought me back my quality of life. And that was really important for me to be able to give back what I wanted, to be able to work full time, to be able to enjoy time with my family and friends. So those were very important aspects for me. So I just say to patients, don't give up. It's a journey, but it's well worth it. And To the medical staff that I work with as my care team, I think it's important to get to know your patients and and to build a trust with your patient. Because if you have that, your patients will listen to you. And I think, as mentioned earlier, communication is key. I think having that back and forth communication, you just have a better chance, a very successful transplant. Absolutely. Heather? Yeah, my biggest pieces of advice would be number one, to keep moving, and number two, to eat well. 
you know, get your fruits and vegetables in, get your protein in, don't skip meals and don't ever become sedentary. Frailty, deconditioning and malnutrition can progress so quickly regardless of age, especially on dialysis, but also with chronic kidney disease. So um, really stay on top of that. Movement is medicine that should never be neglected. So keep doing as much as you can, even if it looks different from what you could do five years ago. Absolutely. Very important. Neon? So I do um, recommend my patient to be patient and be realistic with the goal of care because for transplant, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you have to pace yourself and try to be in like good communication with the team and advocating for yourself and then take one step at a time because we can, we don't know what tomorrow will come, will hold, but we can only try to do our best what we can do today. Absolutely. I think that, you know, echoes. Uh, you know, what uh, what Mary also said, and I think the rest of us in terms of it being a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, Jessica, anything uh, you'd like to share? Yeah, you know, I think the a lot of the most important things have been said already, but really the biggest piece for me anyway is communication. If you have completed an echocardiogram, let your coordinator know. The more communication you have with us, the quicker you get through that evaluation process. And just, you know, fault on the, the side of more, you know, more is better. Also, living donation. That's a tricky thing for people to do. I know kind of putting it out there as a general, you know, most transplant centers have websites and you, you can give people the website and say, if you're interested, here's the information. And then they can take it from there. You don't feel like you're pressuring that person, but you, you won't get any living donors if you don't ask. And that is is such a key to not have to wait through that deceased donor wait list is is really a good a key to success. And I would say those are my two main points. You know, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that. And I actually have a question about that for really anyone on the panel. You know, are there certain tips or you know strategies that patients are given? in terms of how to go about asking that, you know, it's not every day that you go and ask people for a kidney. So I, you know, I wonder sometimes, you know, how, how are patients um, given, you know, tools to navigate that part of it? Well, I could say at uh, UW, we do have a lot of information on, this is how you would make a Facebook post, or there's what they call microsites, you know, little websites saying, this is what's happening. This is what I need, um, you know, helping with the verbiage of how to kind of relay that and to meet and to, you know, get it out to a large group of people on social media, but also how to kind of initially, you know, immediately talk to your friends and family. There's a lot of stuff on, you know, the UW Health or I'm sure any transplant center website about that. And then also we provide actual, you know, physical documentation when they come in for evaluation on, on that process. Kristen, I know it's always the best when you're the last name on the list when everyone's giving their thoughts because there's room for so much original ideas, but I hate to put you in that position. Do you have any thoughts or ideas, things you'd like to share with us? 
Yes, I actually wanted to follow up on what you said earlier, Osama, about not being afraid to advocate for yourself. I think it's so critical that our patients understand that they're the most important members of the transplant team. And if they have questions or concerns or there's something that they don't understand in the education or in the process, it's really critical that they reach out so that we can partner with them as we go on. And also just not to be afraid for, to ask for help. Nobody needs to go this alone, but some people really find it difficult to reach out for help. They're so independent and proud of that, but it's okay if you need to ask friends or family for support or a ride. It's okay if you need to reach out to a mental health provider or counselor to get help coping with some of these challenges that come with chronic kidney disease and transplant. And the more prepared you are and the more help you're willing to accept, the easier it is to get through the process and that your team is here for you. So trust that and reach out and let us know when you need things. Absolutely. Very important. You know, I'd like to thank you all. This has been a fantastic panel. I'd like to thank you all for your contributions to this important discussions and to all our listeners. Thank you for joining us on this ride of the Kidney Commute. Remember, eligible audiences can earn CE credits for listening to this episode by clicking the link in the episode description. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, please email the team at nkfpodcast at kidney.org. Stay tuned for future huddles. And in the meantime, continue to let new perspectives inspire your practice.